likely you have one of two situations, just high level. You are either interested or have leased property for your business, or you are interested or have purchased or sold property. So that kind of from a 30,000 foot or higher level, those are probably your two main experiences with real estate, either leasing or, or buying or selling. That's Tim Dudley, real estate attorney with Rhodes McKee. And as you probably guessed it, today on Conversations with the Business Attorney, we are discussing leasing and buying real estate. I'm your host and fellow business owner, Jeff Large. Now, Tim and I explore a few things. The pros and cons of leasing versus buying a property. The process of acquiring a property and what to expect and the things that you can do to make the buying and or selling process easier for yourself and all parties involved. Our conversation begins with Tim explaining the variables for deciding whether to lease or to buy a property for your business. Yeah, well, there are a number of factors you might consider, and one of them is just market and your financial position, and whether you can afford to purchase uh, real property, whether there's an opportunity to purchase real property and if there's any inventory that makes sense for your your type of business. Another might be kind of the long-term strategy for your business, whether uh, it makes sense to invest in real estate or it makes more sense to lease the property and see how things go before you make that uh, major investment in, in uh, real estate purchase. So you might want to test the waters a little bit with a shorter term lease and see if you're business is young and and you're just starting out, maybe with a couple options to, to extend if, it, if things go well. Uh, you could incorporate a, an option to purchase potentially if, if uh, the landlord is agreeable to that too, if you want to maybe have that option to to get that property wrapped up in, in your name. So I'm hearing uh, my own financial state, the long-term plans. Do you see like in the work that you're doing from a practical standpoint or a from some of the examples that come top of mind, is one typically favored more than the other, like in terms of owning versus leasing, or is it just depends? No, it really depends on the situation. Owning the property might offer a little bit more stability long-term, right? Your, your, your lease rate is not going to increase. Your taxes might, but theoretically you'll get, get that back when you, when you ultimately sell it. So it, that might offer a little bit more stability, stability but there's also a you know, more of initial outlay as far as your expenses go when you're mm-hmm. when you're starting out to, to purchase your property. It's not typically not cheap, <laughs> as we all know. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming more of the expenditures would come from just the responsibility of owning the location opposed to similar payouts in terms of monthly fees with like if I'm going to do a lease versus if I'm going to own it. But it's like all of that additional responsibility that comes along with it is where that that more heavier burden lies. Yeah. And it kind of depends on your lease too. Some leases are what's called triple net or an absolute triple net situation where the tenant, you know, for all intents and purposes, acts as the owner, pays the taxes, pays the insurance, does the maintenance. Mm-hmm. So it you know, those in that situation, the lease situation is is the same or similar to owning mm-hmm. property. You just don't own it. Yeah. And at the end of the lease, you can walk away. But it might be different if it's a, more of a shorter term lease. It might be where you don't have those obligations. You just your only obligation is to to pay the rent and maintain the interior of the leased space, rather than pay the taxes, uh, pay the insurance, and maintain some of the more structural items that uh, the landlord typically is 
responsible for doing. Let's go down that road a little bit further. Let's say I, I'm in a position that I am, uh, I've decided leasing is my better option. And again, as we sort of stand at the, the beginning of this a little more broadly, what are the factors that I consider? What do I need to be thinking about? What factors do I need to be aware of walking into a lease? The most obvious one is the rent. How much am I going to pay per month, per year? But that's the main one that every tenant considers initially. If Can I afford to, to be here? Can I afford this space? That's an obvious one, but others are, you know, term, how long do I want to be here? Do I want to, is this a five-year situation? Do I want a longer-term lease so that I have contractual rights to, to stay at this space for 10 years or, or longer? And you can play with that a little bit with lease options to extend, renew, and in which case a five-year term might be able to turn into a 10 or a 15-year term by, by exercising options to extend that lease. Is it the idea there to keep it in the same like payment? Is it more of a matter of like trying to keep consistency with your costs? Is it more of a matter of like getting the guarantee that you'll be able to be in the same location for your customers? Like are, what are those factors? Yeah, probably more of the latter, just okay. to guarantee that you can stay in the same space. A move is pretty disruptive and yeah. costly and can really be a critical problem for your for your business if like you said customers are used to to you being in one place even if you don't have customer traffic it's still a, a burden to move mm. a business locations and you don't there's no guarantee that another space is going to be as good or better than the one you have currently so you want to lock up that space potentially as long as you can and with lease options that gives you a good way for the tenant to get out if it's not working but have the option to stay if it is. It could be that you want to lock in your rate as well, but typically at a, there's some sort of escalator throughout the term and more likely than not, when you exercise that, that option to extend, there's going to be some sort of um, escalation, whether it's a percentage or, or maybe a reevaluation of what market rent is or a CPI increase or something like that. But, but mm -hmm. that's, there's typically going to be some sort of, of rent um, increase, but it might be lower than than what the market rate is if you've got that extension right too. Yeah. So it could be a little bit of a combination of both, but probably the, the primary factor is locking it in so you don't have to move if you're if you've been successful after five years or ten. Yeah, that wouldn't be very fun if all of a sudden you just had to leave. Uh, right. And we've had clients that, that have that situation where they're they were established in a location and, and don't want to leave and the landlord may have some other plans for the property after the lease term expires and there's not much you can do if the landlord's set on on having you out if you don't have those those renewal or extension terms. Yeah, no, that's important. What are some other potential concerns that I should be looking out for or paying attention to when when we talk about these different lease agreements? Yeah, often the maintenance and repair provisions are highly negotiated and, and scrutinized and a tenant and a landlord will want to make sure that those provisions are consistent with their expectations for who's going to care for and maintain the leased space or maybe even the surrounding property. It, it depends on what the lease space is. The lease space might be the entire tax parcel, the entire, so it includes the building, entire building, parking lot, driveway, landscape space, the entire property. 
or it might include just a, a, a suite inside a building, then you'll have rights in common with others to use. So in the situation where you've got a tenant who is leasing the entire building and, and surrounding property, the tenant may be responsible for maintaining, replacing, repairing everything on that parcel, including the building, the driveway, the parking lot, the landscaping. Let me jump in. What would be, because I didn't even, these are things that I didn't even think of yet because I've been working remote for like the last six <laughs> right. years. And so it's like, I just automatically assume it just, oh, I just get the the, spa- the physical space that I'm in, like the suite, like you said. I didn't really think about leasing it from the, the parking lot and all the rest of it. What would be the advantage of leasing also just like the property and the rest of it? Why would I want to do that? In that case, you would be leasing the entire building. You just need the entire building, right? Uh-huh. So your business requirements require the entire space or the building is just a one space, right? It, it might have a manufacturing facility inside and you're leasing that building. There's no other space for other tenants or other uses. So you're leasing that building and you're leasing the the property because you want control of the entire thing. Essentially yours. It's a situation where you've you're, you're for all intents and purposes are the owner of it. You just don't own the title to the property. Remind me why I wouldn't want to do that. Like if I'm owning everything or if I'm kind of quote unquote owning everything and I'm responsible for everything, why wouldn't I want to own it again? You may not be able to afford it. Okay. You may not have other options out there. There might be there might not be a similar facility for sale that works for you. Okay. There's more kind of business decisions, but and you might just want to be able to have that flexibility where I, I'm going to walk away after five years or ten years potentially, and you know if it's not working out, I I can do that. If I own real property, I've got to you know, first I've had to invest in it, and then I've got to sell it. There's risk to to owning real estate also, right? Mm-hmm. If you have that situation where you lease the entire property, you might, you might have the obligation to repair, replace, maintain everything and have those costs. And theoretically, you're going to pay less if you're taking care of all those other expenses because the landlord doesn't have that overhead. At this point in the conversation with Tim, I was reminded why it's important to be working with an attorney on matters like this on real estate. As a business owner, you're limited in your scope you're likely making your decision based on one set of factors. But on the other hand, it's Tim's actual job to focus in on making sure that his clients and their interests are protected. I care about making sure that the client's expectations are reflected in the lease and that that lease is a fair lease for the client. Those are the two main things that I'm looking at. Oftentimes we'll have a letter of intent that can guide us as far as what the parties have maybe already agreed upon that either a broker or or just the client and the other party have negotiated amongst themselves. And so we've we've got that to guide us as far as what the expectations are from the client's perspective. And then where we come in is we can guide them as far as what's customary, what's reasonable, um, where are your exposures to maybe costs you haven't anticipated or liabilities that um, you might not be aware of. Mm-hmm. Things like that is where we come in and, and add some value and just make sure that, that that lease does in fact 
represent what the client's expectations are and is fair and reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a common theme in these conversations for me of just like mitigating risk, making sure that you're actually getting what you think you're getting. Like right. that's what having having a solid attorney helps you like safeguard those basics. Some basic questions like when would be a good time to get a, an attorney involved in this process? So I'm starting it, I'm going through it. Like when should I have bring my attorney in? Yeah, well, probably as you've heard in other uh scenarios as well and other talking to other people as soon as possible <laughs> right yeah. and that we want to be involved um, as soon as we can not not necessarily that we need to be heavily involved from the beginning and often we're not like I said sometimes mm-hmm. we'll get a already signed letter of intent that we haven't had any involvement in yet but when that happens we can often and, and it comes to pass where we're bringing up things in that letter of intent like we'll help me explain this or did you think about this or sometimes wish we hadn't have already agreed to this and if we get in on the front end it's a little bit easier for us to to avoid some of those problems yeah i mean how hard is it to to backpedal once you've had an assigned letter of intent it it depends sometimes you can i don't want to say ignore terms and we try to make it consistent with the letter of intent so that you know, there's no blowback when when it uh, goes to the other side and say this is this is not consistent with the, the letter of intent but but if it's something that is important you know letters of intent are typically non-binding agreements anyway so there's some wiggle room to to adjust or pivot if something is is that much of a problem mm-hmm. but it's not ideal if we're in on the front end the beginning, then we can maybe avoid some of those situations at first. But it's not critical. I mean, it, it's not uncommon at all for us to receive a signed LOI and say, hey, I need a lease, <laughs> right? And, and that's not typically the end of the world by any means. But the sooner we can get together, just maybe review a letter of intent that's being considered for signature um, is a good time to get your t- attorney involved. We don't need to negotiate necessarily the, the letter of intent. We, we can do that sometimes, but a lot of those business terms may be better handled by a broker, yeah. but being able to review that letter of intent before it gets signed uh, can be helpful. Okay. And then also, if say for this situation specifically, when I'm negotiating a lease, what qualities should I look for in an attorney? Um, say I'm, I, maybe I don't have one yet and I'm looking for one. Um, what kind of qualities or experience should I expect them to have? Yeah, you should expect your attorney to have experience negotiating and drafting and preparing leases. Your attorney should be, I think, a reasonable person. You mean I don't want an unreasonable attorney? Well, yeah, you mean (laughs) an unreasonable attorney uh, makes things more difficult for everybody and costly. The more difficult it is to reach that end result of a mutually agreeable lease and just drives up costs and time for everybody. You know, those are the two experience and and I'll just call it reasonableness are, I think, the two most important things. And someone that you work well with, too, that you can understand, that understands your business and needs and is listening to you and understanding what you have in mind rather than someone that's just going to throw out a document that's off the shelf and doesn't care about your specific needs. Another aspect you should be considering What are the options and challenges that you have if you want to get out of your lease before the end of your term? That's an important, both on the front end, the right to assign or sublease is often a negotiated term where 
the tenant wants the right to freely assign it to whoever they want if they want to step out of the space and get a new tenant in there they want the right to hand that off assign that lease to another tenant or sublease it which would be a i'm stepping out of a portion of the space i'm going to keep half of it and someone else is coming in and take half of it they're going to pay half the rent we're talking about those situations and the tenant wants the right to freely do that and the landlord doesn't want the tenant to have that right to freely assign or sublease they want control of who is going to be in that space understandably so they own the property they want to make sure that the tenant that's coming in is is a tenant who is has the assets to be able to pay the rent and maintain the property has a good reputation Maybe they've dealt with the tenant before in another location and and have had bad experiences and they don't want to deal with them again. You know, they want just some control of of who's going to be leasing that space other than letting the tenant make those decisions for it. Mm -hmm. So you often compromise with a provision where the landlord can't unreasonably withhold its consent or, you know, there are certain criteria that the replacement tenant has to satisfy in order to get that landlord's consent. The tenant that's coming in, the new tenant, will want to make sure the conditions are satisfied or met before they assume the lease. They want to make sure that the existing tenants paid all its rent up to date. They want to make sure that the landlord is not aware of any defaults, that the property is in good condition, things like that. Just make sure that when they're stepping into that lease, they're stepping into a clean situation um, where they're ready to hit the ground running and there aren't any hidden issues that they've got to resolve. Because once they step into that lease, they become the tenant. That new tenant is going to get some indemnification from the existing tenant for items that have happened before the assignment of the lease so that if there's you know rent that's unpaid, new tenants not going to step in and say or be responsible for that mm-hmm. rent that the previous tenant was responsible for or yeah. if they didn't maintain something that they were required to maintain then yeah, I'm not going to become responsible for that um, although I might be responsible to the landlord the the old tenant's going to reimburse me for for those costs the important thing to note is that you want to make sure that you get some representations from the landlord when you're coming into that situation, that new lease. Some common themes that I just continuously hear, it goes back to some of those adages of like, we do business with people. You think about these companies that we frequent, but at the same time, it's often the people that are involved or when you get services involved or whatever, it's it's who you're dealing with. And this feels like very much one of those situations, even to your comment prior to, uh, you don't want somebody that's difficult, whether it's the attorney, but I could also see it being an issue just because you have very different very different desires and it's it's a tension that you have to run between and if you don't walk into the situation understanding that it, it should be fair for both parties of like maybe you got to give a little here and they're going to give a little there that seems really big it still kind of comes down to a is the situation fair for both parties and then b like you said did did you miss any details like are you, are you represented well um and so I, obviously i can see that having somebody that knew what they were talking about more than I did, (laughs) like walking into an agreement like this would be beneficial for me just because there are nuances like that. If you haven't had experience 
working in this space or working in kind of purchasing, leasing and, and whatnot uh, that you very easily could overlook. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and by fair, doesn't always happen, right? I mean, it also can depend on leverage. You might have a, as a landlord, you might have a national chain that's coming in that can, you know, Walmart or, or mm-hmm. Amazon or something like that that can come in and dictate the terms, in which case you're going to have to reset your expectations of, you know, I'm probably not going to get everything I want here, but I'm going to get a great tenant in here. It's, I know is going to be able to pay the rent and uh, has the, the resources to take care of the property and I'm not going to have to worry about it. Um, so I might give a little bit on some of these other terms that, that they're not going to budge on anyway. Mm-hmm. Or the landlord, the landlord might have the leverage in other situations where the tenant's not going to get everything that they want to. So there's this give and take depending on the specific you know, leverage that, that either party has. Valid points. So let's transition a little bit and uh, talking about strictly leasing, but what about in transactional style relationships, whether we're buyer or seller, um, why don't you kind of set the stage for me there? Yeah. So often we will get involved when a business is purchased or sold, in which case there almost always is a real estate component to that, whether that's the seller owning real estate that the buyer is going to purchase as part of the business transaction or the seller owns real estate that the buyer is going to lease. And there may be the third category there would be that the seller leases space from a third party that the buyer is going to assume that that lease. We kind of talked about assumption of lease mm-hmm. or assignment of lease just a moment ago, but that would be a situation where you might um, have an assignment. So those are kind of the three situations where you might get involved from a real estate perspective in a business transaction. Well, let's start with seller. Okay. What do I need to know about seller? What are big, big aspects that I should Yeah, the seller's maybe a little bit easier. If you're selling the real estate, you're going to want to make sure that you're getting, you know, again, it's like rent is your primary concern. What's your, are you getting the amount that you want for the property? Is that, that's really the seller's main concern there. You're also looking at uh, typically a purchase agreement for real estate will include some representations and warranties as far as the condition of the property or the, the state of the selling party. You want to take a look at those closely so that you're not representing or warranting things that you shouldn't or can't or that are unreasonable for seller to, to represent, especially when the buyer is going to have a chance to do its own due diligence and figure out, you know, kick the tire, so to speak, so that so they can see if what's wrong with the property and mm-hmm. and um, make sure that that uh, it's it's in the condition that they want. So you just those are a couple of things that you want to look at from a from a seller perspective or consider when you're when you're selling uh, the real estate. If I may interject, I'm, I find myself uh, as you're talking, just looking for more things that I can relate to because I haven't personally gone through this yet. Like how does this differ from say just buying and selling a home? Like what, what things would be unique to the business side of it? Yeah. So in buying and selling a home is typically a quicker process. You're concerned about price primarily Mm -hmm. and you will most likely get what's called a title commitment, which is essentially what are the documents that affect the title to the property, easements, restrictions, making sure that the party that's 
shown as a seller on the purchase agreement is in fact the owner of the property. So it's more, it's typically, you, know, you might have an inspection that's done by a, an inspector, might get an appraisal, you know, you've got to secure your, your financing typically, but it's a pretty quick process. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, on most accounts, it's pretty straightforward. What in addition then am I factoring in as a seller yes. from a, the business standpoint? From a, from a seller's perspective, it's going to, you were want to expect it's going to take more time. It's not going to be a couple of weeks or a week to close in most situations. The buyer is going to need time to inspect the building, to review title work and all the documents that affect title. They'll want a chance to object specifically to some of those items that are objectionable that don't satisfy or they're not satisfied with. Is it more because of the, is there just more liability involved? Like, well, in certain circumstances, yes. And one of the things that the buyer is going to should want to do is an environmental site assessment. And so there is more liability there. And that's one thing that drives the length of a, of a due diligence or inspection period in a commercial transaction that doesn't typically happen in a residential transaction. Okay. You're not doing a phase one environmental site assessment in a residential transaction, but in a business setting, if the buyer purchases, closes on the property, and they will automatically become liable for whatever contamination exists. Oh, okay. If they don't do that environmental due diligence to phase one environmental site assessment, yeah. phase two if necessary, and what's called a baseline environmental assessment if, mm -hmm. if necessary as well. So, the, and that all takes time um, typically. And we've done them you know, within two weeks, but that's really pushing it. Wait, what about like just generically speaking? Like we said, if, if closing on a home is several weeks to a month-ish, something like that, what is a standard time frame that I'm looking at for a business transaction? Minimum of 45 days. Okay. And now that, that sounds it, like it's hustling based on what you're that's, describing. That's hustling typically. Okay. Uh, but you know, 60 to 90 is a more customary due diligence period and it can go up to 120, 180 days or longer. Yeah. And it just depends on the nature of the transaction, but you're looking at months and not days or weeks in most situations because it, it takes time. You need to get a survey typically in order to make sure the properties as you believe it to be, identify the location of easements. Maybe it identifies encroachments onto or off of the property. Maybe be able to identify errors in the legal description, things like that. Mm -hmm. So the commercial buyers and sellers are typically just more sophisticated in understanding the the nature of the transaction than than residential buyers and sellers. It's not always the case, but uh, typically mm -hmm. um, it is. And it, these properties are are often more complicated than a house, right? You've got a house, yeah. driveway, lawn, everything's kind of the same in every every house. Whereas in these commercial or industrial properties, it you never know what you're going to get. Each building is a, is a different use, right? So you might have a, it might be a, an industrial facility that has some significant environmental contamination involved with it, or it might be a commercial condominium in a kind of a shopping center where you've got a bunch of restrictions that are applicable to, to the property that you're purchasing, or 
it might be a marina on the lake and you've got to make sure that you've got that the seller's got the permitting and everything that's necessary to operate the marina so there's more that goes into it than just do i like the house does it have curb appeal and and uh, does it just pass my pretty simple inspection mm-hmm. there's a lot of other things that that you've got to consider do you have any fun stories of surprises that you or your clients have encountered yeah so there was one situation where we represented the buyer of a warehousing and industrial facility that had an existing tenant. We were interested in purchasing the building for some warehousing of our own. And the particular product that we were interested in warehousing was pickles. And client entered into a agreement with the seller so that they could store those pickles before closing. So a it's a short-term license agreement. And the other tenant complained about the pickle smell that was emanating from the storage of the pickles. And so we had to address that issue. You had to take legal action over a pickle smell? Yeah. I mean, it did, it, it, we resolved <laughs> it quickly and swiftly and amicably. Yeah. That was not something that certainly I expected to, to have to deal with pickles. That's super funny. <laughs> when I signed up for that, for that one. Oh, that's too funny. Um, so yeah, you never know what you might come across. So we were talking a lot from the seller side and I feel like you can kind of start to piece together what you need to consider on the buyer side, but is, is there anything specific on that end that maybe alters or is different from the seller side that we need to be paying attention to? The buyer, we talked a little bit about this already, is is really that due diligence that they need to conduct and that's a title, review a title commitment and the documents that are shown as exceptions on that title commitment, a survey, you get your environmental work with a, with a good consultant and inspect the building, uh, make sure it's in a condition that you, that you want it to be in. That's kind of the primary difference between the buyer and the seller, that the, the buyer wants the time to kick the tires and make sure everything is in the condition that they want it to be in from title survey, environmental, it's kind of three main, main due diligence items. Mm-hmm. And the seller just wants to close and get its money as quickly as possible. So you've got a little bit of friction there as far as you know how long you're going to have to do those due diligence items. But those are all important things that a buyer really needs to do, or they might end up with some surprises after closing that that they have to deal with that could be expensive yeah. to resolve. Yeah. So I'm hearing from a seller's perspective, it's a matter of making sure that you're presenting what is actually there, like pre- presenting the the property in an authentic state, in an accurate state. Um, like you said, it's also important that you can move your transaction as swiftly as possible just so you're able to cash out on it or as you see fit. And then from the buyer's standpoint, it is a matter of the due diligence to check and see that you're actually getting what you think you're getting, that the terms are, are the way that they're described. I mean, is that a fair, just high-level assumption? Yeah, you described it quite well from a high-level Every transaction is different, so, yeah. so you have some nuances there. And there's other things that you know what you might negotiate, you know, the de- how the treatment of the deposit and things like that. But from an overall transactional point of view, I think you summed it up pretty good. And it, it is important not just to go through the motions of doing those due diligence items, but to do them well and to understand exactly what your survey is showing you, exactly what the title documents are saying, and making sure you're 
environmental consultants done a proper phase one and two and, and beyond if necessary. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hearing that there's multiple people involved. So who are you typically working with? So it's like, I have my attorney, you just mentioned an environmental person, like who's normally involved in these processes really on either side, on buyer seller side? Yeah. Well, as the attorney, oftentimes we will be involved in the hiring of the environmental consultant, the surveyor and a title company that prepares the title commitment eventually provides the title insurance policy. So those are the three main other parties that we're going to be involved that will be involved in the transaction that the attorney will have heavy correspondence with. You also might have your loan officer if you're financing the purchase. You might have a building inspector and any other consultants that you might want to have take a look at the property depending on what it is. But the, that's the three main. So surveyor, title company, and the environmental consultant. Obviously, at this point of the conversation, you can hear the many variables that exist when it comes to buying and leasing real estate. So I asked Tim what he wished more clients knew before coming to talk to him. Well, understanding that timeline is oftentimes something that would be helpful <laughs> beforehand. Just understanding that I can't just close and 10 days in order to, if I'm going to do it properly. That is the one I see most often from purchasers or sellers that really haven't gone through the process frequently. They don't understand that it's, this is going to, this is a months long process. If you're going to do it right, not a days or weeks long process. And sometimes that becomes a problem when we, when we have a already executed letter of intent, getting back to that. And it's nice for us. That's something that we could catch prior to the letter of intent being signed is, do we have a sufficient enough due diligence period in order to do the work that we need to do? That's one that we see frequently. And sometimes we even get a signed purchase agreement that has a you know 15-day due diligence period, in which case there's not really... I mean, we, we can try to make that work, but it's not going to get done with the detail that that is really necessary. You know, every transaction is different and sometimes um, you know, that might be enough. And sometimes just the nature of the situation dictates that that's all the time we have. And we have to just make sure that we do as much of a thorough job as we possibly can. But that's, that's one that I see frequently is just understanding the timing of what's involved and um, you know, how that plays out. Any final advice for people in this this seat that they're approaching leases? I know, we, I mean, it's obviously a massive topic. We can go into way more detail than we did, but any kind of parting advice of things that you would like our listener to know? Yeah, I think it's just important to be open to understanding what all is involved in the lease and, and being and understanding that it's going to probably take a couple rounds of back and forth negotiation to to get it done. Yeah, it's not going to be a simple, here's your lease, everyone signs it. There's going to be some back and forth involved. And so it's, it's again, kind of a timing issue. We're just going to take a little bit of time. I mean, we, we can turn it around as quickly as possible, same day sometimes if necessary, but it's gonna, there's going to be some back and forth after that. That's one thing I think that is often not understood is how, just the timing and how long it takes to get things done properly. A big thanks to Tim Dudley for sharing his time and his expertise on today's show. 
If you have any questions around buying, selling, or leasing real estate for you or your business, consider reaching out to Tim or one of his peers. You can learn more at RhodesMcKee.com, and I'll make sure that link is in the show notes. Conversations with a Business Attorney is a project from Rhodes McKee, and it's produced by Come Alive Creative. Thank you to Rachel Workman, Isidore Nieves, Elaine Moore, and everybody who helped make this episode possible. I've been your host, Jeff Large. And if you found this episode helpful, please make sure to share it with other business owners who might benefit. 